Chapter Ten of An English Girl's First Impressions of Burma. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Fullerton Samsell at CloneSofLangston.com. An English Girl's First Impressions of Burma by Beth Ellis. Chapter Ten: Beasts and Reptiles. Quote of unknown origin. The animals came in one by one till Noah he thought they would never have done, and they all came into the ark for to get out of the rain. Rats, Hamlin Town, with Bishop Haddo thrown in, cannot offer a comparison with our sufferings from these pestilent vermin. During the daytime, they contented themselves with playing in twos and threes about the house, getting in the way of our feet, and generally making themselves a nuisance. But at night, when we had retired to rest, they came in their hundreds from their homes beneath the house, and to use an expressive Americanism, simply bought the place. I am not naturally a Mrs. Gummidge, but in this instance I am certain I suffered more than any others in Remyo. Why the rat should have preferred my room, I know not, but undoubtedly they did. They gave balls every night on my dressing table, and organized athletic sports, chiefly hurdle races, on the floor. They had glorious supper parties on my trunks, leaving the whole place scattered with half-eaten walnuts, bits of biscuits, and morsels of cheese. They had concerts and debating societies in the still hours of the night brawls and squabbles at all times, and true to tradition, made nests inside my Sunday hats, helping themselves to such of my finery as took their fancy. As I have said, they came in their hundreds, and I was powerless against them. In vain did I sit up in bed and shoo and clap my hands. They would pause for an instant, as the revellers in Brussels paused when they heard the cannon of Quatre Bras. Then, on with the dance, let joy be unconfined, no sleep till morn when the rats and walnuts meet, and the noise would become more deafening than ever. I think they grew to enjoy my shoeings. The more noise the merrier was evidently their motto, but one night, when I dozed off after making myself particularly disagreeable, a large rat sprang upon my pillow, tore aside the mosquito curtains, and hit me violently with its tail. They are revengeful creatures and what appetites they had! Poison they scoffed at, but ate everything else that was not soldered up in tin boxes, from our Christmas pudding to the baby's palaces and my best gloves. Their most criminal act of depredation was in regard to my brother's pipe. It was a beautifully grained pipe, which I took out from England for a Christmas present. On Christmas Eve, the rats penetrated into the drawer where I kept it, tore away the wrappings, and set to work. In the morning, nothing was left but the stem, the perforated and jagged remains of the bowl, and a little heap of chawed bits of wood. My brother was very angry when I broke the news to him, but it wasn't my fault. They were his rats. He ought to have had them under better control. We got a dog, but he was useless. He was a pariah puppy of respectable parents, a cheery, popular fellow who had so many evening engagements among his friends in the village that he could scarcely ever spare a night at home, and during the daytime he mostly slept. My sister and I both disliked him. 
she because he would worry the baby's legs i because he developed such an unbounded devotion to my shoes he never attached himself to other shoes in this way but mine he would not leave alone he carried some off every day and hid them behind the furniture or if he had a quiet ten minutes to himself he buried them in the compound many a long-lost shoe did we discover when turning out the drawing-room or digging up the flower-beds the others were amused at this frolicsome trait but it was rather a stupid joke really i was assured by the inhabitants of remyo that mosquitoes are unknown there during the cold weather if this be really the case there must have been a special pilgrimage and obviously i was the object of their attentions fresh from england they welcomed me with a delight that ought to have been highly gratifying nor could they do enough to show their unbounded appreciation for me i obtained mosquito curtains but i suppose i was clumsy in the manipulation of them for i spent many a lively night in the company of two or three enthusiasts who kept me awake by their odious ping-ping song and their still more odious attentions there is a district in burma i am told where the cattle are provided with mosquito curtains and i can quite believe it for if they can be so obnoxious in the hills in the cold weather what must they be in the plains in the heat all creatures have their work in this world and i suppose the mosquito was created to subdue female vanity one cannot well be vain with such a complexion as they gave me but let me quit this melancholy subject it is impossible to be jocular with a mosquito and strong language would be out of place in this book rats are not the only creatures in remyo with whom we were forced to share our meals the place abounds in ants beetles and creeping things innumerable and all these must live which necessity we recognized but wish they could live elsewhere on the whole i think the ant is the most objectionable of insects there is a burmese fable concerning an ant and a lion which tells how the ant was rewarded for assistance rendered to the lion by receiving permission to go everywhere and so that this prerogative may be fully exercised the ant has apparently been gifted with matchless ingenuity in devising means to overcome all obstacles amongst other accomplishments it must have acquired the art of either swimming flying or bridge-building for even the dishes of water in the centre of which we placed our meals were ineffectual the worthy dr watts tells us to go learn of the ant to be prudent and wise but though it is with the most submissive humility that i venture to contradict such an authority on natural history as the gifted author of how doth the little busy bee yet i must confess that i do not recognize in the ants the first of the virtues indicated they devastated a full box of chocolates in a single night which surely was hardly prudent unless they possess iron constitutions it was without doubt profitable for us to have constantly before us the example of the clever and industrious ant and we tried to profit thereby but at times we could not help feeling that the sluggard would have been the more acceptable companion the ant is so painfully energetic especially in the matter of absorbing food the sluggard i feel sure had more regard for his digestion i never learned to distinguish the names of the innumerable crawling creatures whom we met at table at meal-times their sole characteristic is greed and they kept me continually reminded of the plagues of egypt for they came in unlimited numbers 
settling on the food darkening the air with their numberless forms and devouring everything edible they are eminently objectionable and i defy the most devout lover of natural history and beasties generally to find any pleasure in their society one evening i was dining out and towards the middle of dinner i perceived a large hideous object nestling among the profuse flower decorations on the table it didn't appear to me a very pleasant table companion but as no one else remarked it and as i dislike appearing disconcerted by the habits of strange countries i said nothing about it so long as the creature remained quiet but when at last it came out from its lair and curling up its long tail made a run at me i left the table hurriedly to my relief the other guests also displayed uneasiness for the object of my dislike was a scorpion which had it was supposed been brought into the room with the flowers and had remained hidden from all eyes but mine until its unwelcome disclosure of itself there ensued an exciting chase up and down the table after the animal till it was at length caught between two tablespoons and drowned in a finger bowl by little excitements of this kind the entertainments in burma are often enlivened some doubt has been cast upon this story by sceptical europeans but if any require proof i can refer them to eminent members of the i c s men whom none would dare to doubt who will assure them that such occurrences are frequent in fact that the first place one would look for a scorpion would be among the flowers upon a dinner-table when watching the antics of a plump good-tempered jim crow as he disports himself upon a pleasant english lawn or when listening to his peaceful cawing among the shady trees on a hot summer's day one little dreams that this same harmless law-abiding creature when exposed to the degenerating influences of the east becomes transformed into the most disreputable vagabond upon the face of the earth the impudent thefts of jackdaws have long been famed but no words can describe the unbounded presumption of the burmese crows they are always on the watch and if food be left for an instant in a room with open door or window they enter and settle on the table without a moment's hesitation helping themselves to anything that takes their fancy in the coolest manner imaginable when the lugalays carry the dishes of food from the kitchen to the house these same impish crows pounce down on them and bear away any tempting morsels well knowing that the men have their hands full and cannot make reprisals they appear to know by instinct the approach of meal times and settle in crowds on the veranda rail or the window ledge ready to carry off the food directly one's back is turned and in the meanwhile they pull faces at us and make rude remarks for all the world like a collection of vulgar little street boys they know no fear they only mock and mimic shoeings and hand clappings and would laugh i am sure at the most awe-inspiring scarecrow ever erected they sometimes go so far as to deliberately settle on the table and take a peck out of the cake while one is sitting there and then before they can be caught they give a cheeky call bow ironically and flutter back to rejoin their admiring comrades who have doubtless dared them to the act on the veranda i do not believe there exists any other creature in the world possessed of such boundless cheek they have a strong sense of humor of a practical joking kind and one of their amusements in remyo was to lure us away from the tea-table by feigned attacks upon our pots of hyacinth bulbs which they uprooted in the most devastating manner 
we would fly out to the protection of our precious bulbs and return to find our cakes devoured or carried away by a reserve body of crows who had been waiting in ambush behind the door they occasionally combined forces with other thieves the most wearing half-hour i ever spent was one devoted to protecting the interest of the cake and the cream jug from the hostile attacks of a half-dozen crows and two kittens while i lifted the latter from the table the former settled upon the cake and when i turned my attentions to them the kittens returned to the charge mercifully allies are not usually forthcoming only young ignorant and disobedient kittens would associate with the disreputable crows all properly brought up birds and beasts avoid association with them even the vultures who sat all day on the trees shading the hospital were contemptuous of those wicked gammon the crows dogs abound in every burmese village and they and the pigs are the chief scavengers of the place their number is legion for it is contrary to the buddhist religion to take life so all puppies are allowed to live and as it is further considered an act of merit to feed them they have a fairly pleasant existence the pariah dog performs his scavenging duties conscientiously but he possesses few other merits to recommend him to one's esteem he is at best a stupid noisy thieving brute whose customs are nasty and whose manners are none he occupies his time eating sleeping and fighting and his chief amusement is to snap at the heels of the european and lie across the road to upset the unwary bicyclist periodically when the pest becomes unbearable a day of slaughter is appointed by the majesty of the law and all dogs who have no owner are poisoned but in spite of this rigorous measure there never seems much diminution of the numbers our neighbor possessed three english dogs two terriers and a greyhound they had no doubt been well brought up but had been led astray by evil companions and they joined in the campaign which the rats crows and other creatures carried on against us they delighted to creep into our compound trample on the flower beds steal my cakes perhaps the household was not altogether sorry for that and make away with our tennis balls one day they drove a herd of ponies all over our beloved garden and then retired chuckling to watch from a safe distance our desperate attempts to induce the bewildered creatures to find the gate the greyhound i think would have been a harmless creature but the terriers possessed a full share of the devilry of their breed and urged him to accompany them in all their audacious tricks i believe it was they who persuaded three goats the chief destroyers of our kitchen garden to commence their raiding expeditions into our grounds for the goats always appeared from the neighbourhood of the dogs kennels and there was generally one terrier at least watching when po sin's energetic chase of the goats over the radish beds began other animals there were in the neighbourhood of remyo dwellers in the jungle very different from the mischievous crew i have just described tiger bear panther cheetah soft-eyed ye hares jackals and others sometimes as night drew near i tried to picture how the inhabitants of the jungle would be waking from sleep and preparing for their busy night's work the jungle books had of course inspired me with a great interest and affection for all these animals especially baloo the bear and bagheera the black panther and i continued to love them so long as they remained at a respectable distance but when at times they made expeditions into our neighbourhood 
my admiration changed to awe a tiger was the first visitor he killed two ponies in the stable of a neighbor then a black panther commenced to parade nightly the road between our house and the club he snapped up a little terrier which was trotting along at its master's heels one evening he was reported to have been seen many times about dusk slinking along by the roadside and one man broke a record on his bicycle followed by an innocent and admiring pariah dog which he mistook for the panther there is no doubt that the panther really did for a time haunt the road but he was so useful as an excuse for the men to stay late at the club till they could get a lift down in someone else's dog-cart an excuse that appeared quite convincing to their nervous wives that he almost became an institution from the first i distinctly disliked jackals my bedroom window opened upon the back veranda and one night i was awakened by a noise and looking out i saw two of these beasts i did not know at the time what they were walking softly up and down devouring some food which the lugales had left there for some time i watched them fascinated by these shadowy dark forms creeping about in the moonlight then remembering that the back door was unfastened that i was most probably the first person they would encounter should they enter and that i had promised faithfully to return to england in six months i thought it time to rouse my brother-in-law accordingly i crept from my room wakened him and my sister and told them to get up to bring their guns and follow me as the back veranda was full of wild animals who might at any moment break into the house they were both singularly uninterested in my information indeed my brother only sleepily murmured let them break and went to sleep again but i insisted and at last he rose in a very bad temper and came to inquire into the cause of my alarm of course the noise he made tumbling about and opening the door scared our visitors and when he went out the veranda was empty a few scathing remarks about my powers of imagination were all the thanks i received for thus saving the lives of the family ingratitude thy name is brother-in-law after that my visitors came frequently but i felt that i would rather die than risk more sarcasm and when i found they had no evil intentions i grew rather to enjoy watching them their marvellous quickness their caution and the silence of their movements seemed to give a faint suggestion of what jungle life must be though of course the jackal compared with the nobler animals is no more than jacala the belly that runs on four feet after a while our visitors were inspired to show their gratitude by nightly serenades gratitude is always delightful to meet with in man or beast but i wish theirs had taken some other form a jackal's voice is powerful but unpleasant and has a mournful effect upon the nerves of dead beasts i saw many the jungle round remyo seemed to be a perfect menagerie and a noble panther tiger or bear was often borne in triumph into the station and deposited in the centre of the club compound to be admired of all beholders when no time could be spared for an organized shoot a reward would be offered for the carcass of any panther or cheetah which might have been annoying a neighbouring jungle village and the animal when killed was always brought in to be shown to my brother by the claimants of the reward it was a little startling at first to have bears panthers etc casually brought and deposited at one's front door but we grew accustomed to it after a while as one grows accustomed to all things but hanging 
on one occasion some natives brought in the body of a huge leopard which had killed and eaten a man near the village a most unusual proceeding for a leopard and a terrible-looking animal it was with huge claws and teeth and a sneaking deceitful face the whole incident was disagreeably gruesome on another occasion we were presented with two live bear cubs whose parents had been killed they were dear little fluffy brown creatures and we longed to keep them but they generally become a great nuisance when older as they are always treacherous and capable any day of trotting into the village and killing half a dozen people as a morning's amusement i was strangely lucky or unlucky i hardly know which to call it in the matter of snakes for i did not see a single live snake during my visit i constantly expected to meet one in the compound or jungle but i never even found one coming up the water-hole in the bathroom or coiled up in my bed the creatures never came near me even though i spread out the skin of a huge rock snake in the compound in the hopes that its relations as is invariably the custom with snakes in books might be induced to assemble the most wise-looking creatures always excepting the elephants which i saw were the burmese bullocks their grave thoughtful placid faces reminded me of the images of gautama as they crawl along their way drawing the creaking bullock carts to the bazaar or trot merrily through the jungle taking gaily attired burmans to attend a pway they have ever the same patient quiet abstracted expression as though this menial work to them is a mere appendage to the deeper life of meditation this is what their expression conveys to me some think it denotes stupidity the cattle belonging to the burmese appear to be most independent animals each morning they wander away into the jungle at their own sweet wills returning at night of their own accord for the milking we were much astonished one day when in answer to our request that the milk might be brought earlier in future the milkman replied with much echoing and humility that it could not be as the cow did not wish to return earlier from her walk the burmans are very casual in their treatment and care of the cattle numbers of which fall victims to tigers and other rapacious beasts this chapter would not be complete without a word or two about the burmese ponies but who am i who never could make head or tail of any pony's propensities to presume to describe their character very small and wiry they are very devoted to polo which they understand quite as well as their masters and which they play with the same keenness conceited and obstinate but obedient and affectionate to their masters and possessing as great a love of a joke as a burman himself one of our ponies pearl a lovely little animal and a splendid polo player possessed all these characteristics with her master or mistress she was as gentle and submissive as any one could desire but she assumed the most unpardonable airs towards all the rest of the world she received caresses and attentions with a haughty disdain turned up her nose at any but the very best food and led her poor sais a most trying time i admired her from afar but we never became intimate she evidently despised me and had the most disagreeable knack of making me feel ignorant and small she was too much of a lady to show her dislike by kicks or snaps and treated an enemy with scornful indifference until he attempted to ride her when to use a modern colloquialism she soon managed to get a bit of her own back stunsail another of our ponies was a good old soul of worthy character but worthless value 
he had missed his vocation in life for he ought most certainly to have been a circus pony he was full of tricks not frolicsome or spontaneous ones but tricks carefully acquired by long hours of practice such as bowing to ladies salaaming for bananas and lying down pretending to be dead it was nice of him to have taken the trouble to acquire these accomplishments but his fondness for displaying them at all times was often very disturbing to his rider our third pony john we always thought a quiet easy-going individual until we lent him to a lady who was paying a short visit to remyo she was not an accomplished horsewoman but would not for the world have confessed to the fact for she liked to pose as quite fearless and devoted to riding john's strong sense of humor first became apparent in his treatment of her he soon gauged the extent of the lady's equestrian powers and enjoyed himself immensely he did not unseat her or bolt with her his humor was of a much finer quality he merely consistently refused to do anything she wished when she intended a short ride john would keep her out for hours when she was prepared for an afternoon's expedition john would bring her home after a half-mile canter if she announced her wish to visit her friends at the far side of the station john would take her for a gallop through the jungle when she donned her oldest habit to go a quiet country ride john would insist upon her calling upon her smartest neighbors and would walk up to the front door and stand there until she was obliged to dismount and enter there was no limit to the mischievous devilry of that pony when poor mrs f rode out with the rest of the station her troubles were even greater when her companion suggested a gallop john wilfully assumed his slowest walk and when every one was riding slowly and conversing pleasantly together the poor lady would suddenly without any apparent reason break off in the middle of a sentence and set off at the wildest gallop through the jungle or turn round and ride furiously for home nothing would induce her to confess that she could not manage her pony so she was obliged to invent the wildest excuses and explanations for her conduct others thought it was her eccentricity but we knew it was john End of chapter 10